folks have had it. If you haven't had it yet, you don't want it. So uh, stay healthy. And, uh, but uh, do remember her uh, in your prayers, uh, especially thankful for her to be here in spirit and by CD, but it's just not the same as having uh, her here in person. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to the Matthew, uh, Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 5. I want to ask you a question uh, this morning, and uh, by the way, if uh, Martha got last week's sermon notes, she must have been sick yesterday too, she was delirious, uh, but uh, if you want to take notes, there should have been a piece of paper in your bulletin, but if there wasn't, and you'd like one, you'd raise your hand, and somebody, anybody, everybody? Miss Tiffany will bring you. I want to ask you this question. Are you any different? The Bible says over and over again, in fact, Jesus made this claim that children of God, people that are serving him, should be different. Because this world is... uh, not by and large set on things of God. In fact, the prince of this world, the Bible calls him, is is Satan. And Satan loves to have influence over this world. Uh, He likes to cause trouble. He likes to uh, put division. He likes to do all kinds of different things to hurt uh, the work that God wants to do. And sadly, so many studies uh, that uh, different groups do, uh, George Barna and the Barna group, I have done several. And through their studies, they found that the divorce rate among uh, Christians just as high as those that aren't. Those that, uh, you know, and several different things that seems to indicate that there's little difference. And I tell you that uh, Jesus gives this sermon the longest recorded sermon we have of his in the Gospels, tells us, as he told his disciples there that on that mountainside, you ought to be a little different. People should be able to say, hey, listen, there's something a little bit odd about you and about me. And odd in a good way, not a not a bad way. And so let's take a look, beginning at uh, verse 1 of Matthew chapter 5. It says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up um, on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. 
Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, It's interesting, uh, John Stott, an English uh, pastor and theologian, he passed away uh, last year, uh, said this in his commentary in the Gospel of uh, Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount in particular. He said, thus, the followers of Jesus are to be different, different from both the nominal church and the secular world, different from both the religious and the irreligious. The Sermon on the Mount is the most complete delineation anywhere in the note New Testament of the Christian counterculture. Here is a Christian value system, an ethical standard, religious devotion, attitude of money, ambition, lifestyle, and network of relationships, all that are totally at variance with those of the non-Christian world. And this Christian counterculture is the life of the kingdom of God, a fully human life indeed, but lived out under divine rule. So this long sermon, which was probably over maybe several different occasions, and Matthew uh, recorded it for us um, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but to let us know uh, that, listen, Jesus is making the point, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to do things differently. You can't just take a, you know, go with the wind. You just can't. You know, say, well, what's popular, what's politically correct? But we have to look and consider what does God want us to do? And so he begins this Sermon on the Mount with what we call the Beatitudes. Um, from the each of the verses starting with blessed. And oftentimes, some of the newer translations translate uh, it instead of blessed, put happy there. And that really is, doesn't quite get at it. Blessed doesn't quite get at it either. But really, the idea that, that Jesus was trying to get at is not that we feel happy, not that we uh, have, um, you know, material blessing, you know, material things. But the blessing that, that God is talking about, that Jesus is trying to get across, is this peace. That peace that we sang about, the wonderful peace that, that floods the soul of the believer of God, that no matter what circumstances might uh, be going on in your world, that there's peace and joy and contentment, knowing that this world is not at all what there is. And so some different things that we find about in Jesus' words in these ten verses are very countercultural. They were in Jesus' day, and they certainly are today. They're certainly different than how the world thinks. And so some different things, three things that I want to point out to you this morning, and the first is this, that we as Christians have a different word. In other words, we have a different standard of how we live our life and a different priority. Things are Different, the things that are important to us should be different than the things that are important to this world. And so Jesus says, you know what? It's good to be poor in spirit and to be meek and uh, to hunger and thirst, to be a peacemaker, to 
be pure in heart. These are things that do not come natural in this world and things that we don't like. None of us like to go hungry. None of us like to be thirsty. None of us like to be last. We want to be first. Most of us want to be right. And so often we lose track as we read this that Jesus says, listen, what this world tells you is important really is not important. And so you need to have a different attitude and a different perspective of life and a relationship with God. And that's where he begins. Poor in spirit, you're not talking about a small bank account. Probably most of us have at least been there at some point in our life uh, where our bank account has been kind of thin. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the poor in spirit. It's not talking about having uh, unconcerned for spiritual things or just having a little bit of spirit, but he's talking about being uh, led by the spirit, by recognizing that we're in terrible shape. To see ourselves for the wretched sinners that we really are before we come to know the Lord. To recognize that there is nothing that we can do to earn or merit or buy our salvation. We are who we are by the grace of God. And because of what Christ did for us. And you know that for all of us and for everyone, before we can get saved, guess what? We have to recognize we're lost. We have to recognize that we need the Lord in our life. And that's what being poor in spirit is, is depending upon the Lord. Recognizing that without Him, we can do nothing. But the converse of that is also true. With him, Paul says, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So being poor in spirit means to recognize our need for God. And can I tell you something? Even if you're saved, and most of you, if not all of you this morning, have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's a a wonderful thing. But do you know that we still need to depend on the Lord even after we're saved? In fact, to get through this life and to stay faithful to Him, we need His help. Because there are so many things in this world that are hell-bent, if you will, on destroying our witness for the Lord and destroying the Lord's work in our life and destroying the Lord's church. That it takes us being very intentional about our walk with the Lord. It takes effort to read our Bible and to pray, and to listen to God, and to obey God. Our world is filled with, I mean, our time, it fills up quick, doesn't it? There are so many conveniences in 2017, things that are supposed to make our lives easier and save us time. But the more time we save from one thing, something else comes right behind it. And we find that we're a lot more busier than... We used to be. And so Jesus gives us this countercultural recipe for how to live a content life with him. 
And the first thing he says, if you want to be content, understand that you need to have a different measure, that you need to have a different priority, that you need to have a different authority source. So many people in our world today look to you know, Facebook, look to public opinion, look to you know, Oprah and the other celebrities for how they're supposed to for how they're to make decisions. Can I tell you that there's only one source that will never lead you astray? And that's God Himself. And so Jesus says, if you're smart, you'll come to me. If you're smart, you'll recognize your need for me. And so it's when we're poor in spirit, when we recognize that we need salvation, that we can have the kingdom of heaven. None of us like to be sad. But there are times when we're sad. They said, the sad will be comfort. Those that mourn. Not only mourn over things that hurt, but maybe mourn over their spiritual condition, the spiritual condition of their friends and neighbors and co-workers. But there's one source for comfort, and it's not anything in this world. You know, people look for it in drugs and alcohol and you know, sex and jobs and possessions. And you know what? None of those things can bring real comfort. Now, it can dull pain. It can deaden pain. But it doesn't take the pain away. It just makes you forget that you have it. You have surgery and they fill your body full of morphine. That morphine doesn't all of a sudden make that surgery pain go away. It still hurts. Which is why when you stop, you know, when the medicine wears off, you hurt again. The medicine just dulls and it tricks your brain into saying, hey, I don't hurt. But your body still has that, uh, whatever it is. But there's one thing that brings ultimate comfort. And that's the Lord himself. It's nothing that this world can give. And what happens is not even, you know, people who are unsaved, but also church people look for comfort in the world. The world can't give us comfort. But the Lord can. The world does not give us very good direction, but the Lord will. People who are in this world and and live their life according to the things of this world say, it doesn't matter who I have to step on or what I have to do, the lies I have to tell or who I have to cheat as long as I get ahead, as long as I take care of me. That is not to be the philosophy of the child of God. By Christ's example... Christ shows us that we are to put others ahead of ourselves, that we are to serve others. And true contentment and meaning come when we love others and when we serve others. Not when we demand things. 
It does not come natural to forgive. It does not come natural to show mercy, passion, and kindness. But that is what is to characterize the people of God. And so we have a word that is definitely countercultural. And it is offensive sometimes. Offensive not because it's wrong, but it's offensive to some people because it tells them they're not doing right, that they're wrong. And so what's, you know, if you don't want to be told you're wrong, guess what? You don't, you know, get rid of the God's word. You don't, you know, try to shut every Christian up and try to, you know, do in the church. And by the way, mankind has been trying to undo and get rid of the church since it started. And when people persecute the church, it only grows stronger and bigger. Places where it's illegal to be a Christian, like in Pakistan and China, those are places where the church is growing the fastest in our world today. Why is that? Because there is power in being God's servant. There's power in God's word. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And because Jesus overcame the world, guess what? That means we have the ability to overcome too. And so Jesus begins and he said, listen, you know, he talks about our spiritual life. That we're supposed to recognize our need for him. We're, we're to seek comfort from him. We're to be humble before him. That we're to hunger and thirst, not for things of this world, but for the Lord's righteousness. But then in verse 7, the focus shifts. First, we see that we have a different world, a word. But then secondly, we are to have a different work. Beginning in verse 7, Jesus says, listen, because your spiritual life is different, because you have a relationship with God, because you've you know, you have the kingdom of God. Because you've been comforted, because you inherit the earth, and you hunger and thirst after righteousness and the things of God. And you've been filled. It affects how you live your life. And so he goes on and he says, Blessed are the merciful. In other words, those that show mercy. Those that live a holy life, pure in heart. In other words, they're not seeking to do in others so they can get ahead. And blessed are the peacemakers. These are things that we do. You see, we, the child of God, does things differently than the world does. And we do things not to earn salvation. No one here is good enough that they can merit salvation on their own. No one here has enough money that they can buy their salvation, let alone anyone else's. No one here has enough energy and enough power to work to earn salvation. But salvation comes as a free gift. 
But because we receive that gift, it changes us. Paul says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, all things are made new. And because we are God's people and we've been made new, guess what? It changes how we behave toward others. Does that mean that we suddenly become sinless? No, this side of heaven we still will sin sometimes. But as we grow in Christ, that sin should be less and less and less. And we should be looking more and more like Christ every day. And so Jesus said, listen, your spiritual life will drive your physical life. And that's why when you go without reading your Bible, when you go without praying, when you go without attending church and worshiping with God's people, those are times when it seems like your life begins to fall apart. Because without the Lord in your life and without his influence daily in your life, it will fall apart. The only thing that can hold it together is a relationship with Jesus Christ. We need him, and we don't need him just on Sunday. We need him every single day. But when we gather together as the Lord's people on Sunday, there's something about getting together. Listen, we can worship God at home, at work, on our drive to work. You can pray, you can listen to good Christian music, you can sing praises to God. But there is something special about coming together as God's people. God thought it was important enough that he gave the instruction in the book of Hebrews that says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. That's the practice of the heathen, those that are unsaved, the book of Hebrews says. And so Jesus says, listen, if your spirit is in the right place and you're hungering after me and you're finding me and, you know, we're just having this great time through the week, we come together on Sunday to thank him and to worship him and to encourage one another. And a lot of times we say, well, I just didn't really see to feel the Lord today. We shouldn't come to church to get filled with the Lord. We come to church because we are full of the Lord. And what happens on Sunday is an overflow and a reflection of what has taken place in the collective life of the church Monday through Saturday. And so when we don't see the Lord sometimes work as we think he should, I wonder if maybe it's not because we're not working the way we should be working. And our priorities are not where they ought to be. And the Lord's not doing anything in our life because we're not spending any time with Him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So you shouldn't be amazed that you don't hear Him on Sunday either. But boy, when we have come, what, you know, if we all spend a week of revival, I mean, we spend a week of personal revival, we spend time reading God's Word, and we spend time every day praying. And God was doing things in our life. Can I tell you that when that happens in our life and we're prayed up and our spirit is full, when God's people come together, that will only multiply. When we are merciful through the week, when we've represented Christ and we've shown mercy to others, we've sought to make peace, that will draw people to the Lord. And they'll experience in the same way that we have. 
And that is a wonderful thing. And so, again, when I say that we have a different work, it's not that we're working for our salvation. It's that we're working because we are saved. And our works are much different, or at least they should be, than the works of this world. The work of the child of God should be done in a way that honors God. In a way that shows God's love and concern and compassion for others. And this work includes not just those that go to work on Monday, you know, and work through the week in our jobs. When we go to the grocery store, because grocery shopping is work. So when we're taking care of the kids or running carpool or doing all the things that we have to do through the week. That we should do those things differently. We should see the, if you will, mundane tasks of life as divine appointments. In other words, we should heed the words of Paul when he says, everything that your hands find to do, do it not unto man, but unto wonder how different our grocery shopping experience would be as we rolled our buggy through Walmart or Publix or Aldi's or wherever we went. We said, Lord, help me honor you today. Even as I go grocery shopping. Because I tell you, when we look for opportunities for the Lord to show up, He does. When we're willing to say, Lord, use me today, He will. It may not be in some great grand way and you may not see somebody come to know the Lord every day. But every one of us can make a difference every day in the kingdom of God. By living for the Lord in all that we do. And representing him in all that we do. And I tell you how we behave at the ballpark. Says a lot more about our relationship with God than what we do Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. What we do at Sunday morning at 11 o'clock say something about what we believe about God? Absolutely it does. But can I tell you how you behave through the week says a lot more. And we all know some people that live for the devil Monday through Saturday and then expect to come find the Lord on Sunday. We can't do that. If we're not the Lord's on Friday night at the at the ball game, we're not going to be His on Sunday morning either. We're either His all the time or we're His none of the time. And then I want to call your attention to a last point this morning, and that's the differences that we make in our life. The, the, our word, our, what we take as our priorities, and the things we do, our differences will impact our world. As you walk with the Lord, as you say, Lord, help me, my priorities be your priorities. Help me to make sure that I find time for you. See, because can I tell you something? If you're too busy to read your Bible and to pray, you're too busy. You need to cut something else out of your life and it might mean, you know, getting 30 minutes less sleep. It might mean turning the TV off and, uh, you know, not watching, you know, whatever your show is. But if we don't have time for the Lord, we are too busy. We need to make sure that he is first 
in our life. And when he's first, guess what? The other areas of our life fall into place. Doesn't mean that it's a cakewalk, but things are a lot easier when God's where he's supposed to be. When he's the priority of our life. And when we live for the Lord, when we work differently, and when we think differently, and we have a different way of doing things, it impacts our world. Sometimes it may be a negative impact. What Jesus said in verse 10, and really verses 11 and 12 are a summary of verse 10. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In verses 11 and 12, Jesus changes voice. You notice that that in verses 3 through 10, Jesus spoke in the third person. Blessed are they. But in verses 10, 11, and 12, his attention changes. And he turns it to second person. He says, blessed are you when they persecute you. Blessed are you when they lie about you. And they try to destroy you for my sake. Sometimes the world will not respond favorably to the difference in our life. In our world today, in 2017, Christians are polarized some in society. Why, there are many organizations that are suing governments and school districts to take out prayer and Bible verse, anything to have to do with Christianity. They say it's all right to teach Islam, but do not teach about Christianity. And they have a problem with that. Why? Well, it's very real because it's different. We really believe that God is real. And that he wants to make a difference in our life. And when we come to know him and we surrender our life to him, it does make a difference in our life and in our world. It would be a wonderful thing if Columbus, Georgia experienced such a spiritual revival. And people got saved that judges were out of work because there were no criminals to try. And the policemen had to direct traffic and to... You know, go and, and help folks with the nursing home thing because there was no crime. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing? I think that'd be a great thing. I think even the policemen think that would be a wonderful thing. If they didn't have to write speed, if they didn't have to go and, you know, investigate murders and you know, all kinds of different crimes because people were getting saved, that no more crime was happening because people were putting the Lord first. And that's what will happen. Sometimes it's a negative effect, but sometimes it is a positive effect. Sometimes by your life and the words that you speak, somebody will come to know the Lord. Some will say, you know what? I watched your life. I heard you invite me to church. I heard you talk about Jesus. But I've seen you live for him. That's what makes a difference. If all you do is you talk about Jesus, but you don't live for him, your witness is not being very effective. But if you live for him, 
and you walk with him and you talk for him, sometimes that will have a positive difference. And just think about how you came to Christ. Chances are you didn't just wander into church off the street, hear a sermon, and come to this altar and get saved. Chances are somebody, or probably a bunch of somebodies who are Christians, planted a lot of gospel seeds, if you will, into your life. Maybe you were drugged to church as a child, and you didn't have a choice but to come. But as you came and you listened to the preaching and paid attention in Sunday school, those seeds were planted. And maybe, and a lot of times, it takes... A long time for gospel seeds to sprout. I remember in Bible College, the church that I attended, there was a lady named uh, Sister Willie. And sister, she was a godly lady, loved her to death, and um, sweet lady. Her husband, he was not saved. He was a heathen of heathens. I mean, if it was sin, he did it. He had affairs, he, he drank, he cussed, he did all kinds of things. And for years, uh, our pastor would, had gone to visit, had dinner with him several times. Willie had prayed for years and years that Don would come to know the Lord. One day, He finally said, Willie, I need Jesus in my life. And that wife led her husband to the Lord. And he showed up the next Sunday and came to the altar and prayed and got baptized the next week. And I tell you that when he came out of that water, he was a different person. He was a different person before he was changed when he was saved. When he asked Christ, but it took years and years and years of not only the faithful prayers of a wife, but of prayers of a church and friends. But not only prayers, but acting and loving him and inviting him and never giving up on him. And a lot of times we'll present the gospel to somebody and they may say, no, I don't think I want that today. And we check them off our list and never again. But maybe it was a a second or third or 24th time. And so a reminder for us. Sometimes we may never see the difference that we make in this world. But can I tell you that if you live counterculturally, if you live according to the Beatitudes and to the rest of what Jesus is going to say in the Sermon on the Mount, your life will have an impact in this world. It may burn some people up hotter for this world and they want to do everything to shut you up. But some, it will draw to the Lord and they'll come to know the Lord like you do because of your witness. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for how you give us something different. Lord, you call all of us to be different from this world. And Lord, if there's one here today that's never trusted in you, they've never received that free gift that you've given 
uh, on the cross of Calvary by laying your life down for ours. Would you help them today to call out to you to say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that you paid my sin debt and I accept that great gift and ask you to be the Lord of my life. Or if we'll take that first step, you'll meet us the rest of the way. But Lord, maybe there's one of your children here today that they're saved, but just by the skin of their teeth, so to speak. That if someone was to look at them, they'd see no difference from the things of this world. Their priorities are of this world. How they spend their money is of this world. How they spend their time is of this world. What they value is of this world. Lord, that really is a sad, sad situation. To be surrounded with the gospel, but never having it impact and to control our life. To never know what it is to be sold out for you and to know your blessing. Lord, maybe there's one here today that needs to recommit their life to you. Maybe there's one here today that needs to surrender some part of their life to you. Would you help them today to obey? Say, Lord, have your way, not my way. And we'll give you praise for what you do in Jesus' name.